0: I got a new pair of glasses about, I don't know, three or four weeks ago. Progressives, and seemed okay at the beginning, but the more time goes on, the more difficulty I'm having with them. You know what it's like, they're progressives, and they're supposed to be working for me. And so the struggle I have is I can see distance, great, but whenever I'm working on my computer or reading, I take them off, which causes difficulty in the pulpit, because I've got to look down and see what I've written with these on and I it's been a struggle last week so another struggle this week next week there may be new glasses or So we really need to pray because I need to see this stand with me Thank you Lord for this great day that you've given us We shall rejoice and be glad. Thank you for the transformation that comes every time we read the scriptures The change that takes place every time we begin to meditate upon the power of your word. I pray, God, this morning that this would be meaningful moments in the house of the Lord as we begin to hear what you're saying to our hearts and lives. Amen. You may be seated. There's a powerful transition that takes place at the beginning of each year. It's much more than tacking up a brand new calendar. In our home, it's so much more than replacing a date book. It's so much more than trying to remember to write down. It's a new year on your checks or any other kind of documents that it's now 2012. It's more than that kind of a transition. There's a transition that takes place in our minds. We think about new beginnings every time a brand new year comes. We think of brand new beginnings Oh, we think of. New adventures, we think of new projects. We think of brand new opportunities. We think of new goals. And also, we begin to think about developing a new me. What about me in 2012? Where am I going? What am I about to do? Who am I anyway? So with that in mind, on January the 1st, I spoke on developing a philosophy for your life. I encourage you to find some time to think about who you are, to plan, to pray, to read your Bible, to meditate on you, what's your purpose in life, get in a closet somewhere where it's nice and quiet, block out everything else and just think about who you are and what your purpose in life is going to be. It's good, maybe an idea to get a mirror. If you haven't done it yet, go home, get a big mirror, sit somewhere in a closet, put the light on and stare at the person in the mirror. Who is the person in the mirror? What does God want you to do what does he want you to become so developing a philosophy for your life that's key number one in successful development it seems like since the beginning of this year we've been talking about growth i found myself this is kind of a series that i'm going into and it wasn't even planned but it's kind of like growth charting a growth and wanting a growth plan for our lives so keen i began to think back about some of these messages and key number one had to be this In successful development, know who you are in the sight of God. That's key number one. If you want to successfully develop in your material, in your um, spiritual life, what you are all about. Key number two in successful development was last Sunday. And I talked about walking with God. It was a message about choosing to live a godly lifestyle. Enoch was our example. He began a walk with God. And the amazing thing about this walk is that it continued. It never did end. He just walked right into the kingdom. But the Bible says that he pleased God. He pleased him. That's key number two in successful development. Know who to please in a fallen world, in a difficult world, in a fleshly world. Know who you should be pleasing. Know who you are. Secondly, know who you should please. Key number three in successful development is this Sunday. Altar building. See, knowing who you are in the sight of God, that's great. Deciding to walk with God and please Him is only, is also great. But this is how you power up in order to be all that God wants you to be. This is the way you begin to walk triumphantly so that you finish well. Paul talked about finishing well. And if we're going to finish well, if we're going to have Enoch as a great example for us, and we're going to finish well, we've got to have some altars built in our lives. That's key number three. It's not all about your own power. Sometimes we think we're all powerful and We can do this. We can do that. Yeah, we can do a lot of things. But I'm reminded of Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. When Jesus said these words, you shall receive power. And you're going to be my witnesses. And without his power, the early disciples would have failed miserably in their philosophy for life. Like they knew who they were. They knew what they were supposed to do. But they would have failed if they had that philosophy for their life down pat. And if they had a desire to please God, and they did, they would have failed if they had not really relied upon the power of God. His anointing, His presence flowing through them. They would have failed miserably. They needed an altar. At age 55, I almost said 65 there. At age 55, I'm discovering that I'm facing some new challenges as a pastor. And the challenge is this, keeping up with present tense, trends. I don't know which is better, to tell you the truth. I really don't know. I really don't know. Present trends. This comes with age. Boy, I feel short. Now I feel tall. So as a pastor... The challenge for me is trying to keep up with present tense, present trends. Staying current. Getting new glasses. Accepting changes. Accepting new methods. And all the while, as you're aging, trying to hold fast to the rock bed of biblical teachings and spiritual pillars that go down so deep. And that's a... That's a challenge for us. Those of you that are by age and a little bit older know what that's like. You want to stay true to the Bible, but you recognize these changes. You don't want to become old and crusty and miserable and cranky. Oh, but you want to grow old, as Chuck Swindle said, with grace. So my challenge is I want to hold fast to those biblical truths and issues and solid foundations while staying up with the trends as much as I can. It's now 2012. I was in Fargo a couple of, was it last weekend or Thursday, Friday and Saturday. And I, I began to realize how things have changed. I'm sitting, waiting for my wife. She's shopping, sitting in a nice, nice, comfortable chair. And there's young people around me. And I'm sitting there. I'm the old guy. I'm an older guy now that I never thought I'd become. So I'm sitting there and I'm watching people, these young people, younger ones. They're in a circle and here they are. I forgot my phone. And here they are. And I just sat and watched for a bit. Wow, this is not like the 70s. And I watched. They're not talking to each other. They're in a group. Now, listen, they are communicating. It's easy for me to say, I can't accept that change. But they are communicating. Just not with each other. Or, of course, they might be. People do text each other when they're sitting beside each other, I've heard. But it's not the 70s any longer. And I just began to realize that dear things, times are changing. It's different. We don't talk anymore, but we're still communicating. And then there's Facebook. I don't go on Facebook, one reason because it's a time zapper. But I do go on there once in a while just to see how old my friends are looking. That's all. I want to look at faces. Oh, they've aged. Not no hair. They got this. But do you remember when diaries were private? Do you remember when you wrote a diary, you locked it up? Now they're all on the Internet. Everybody reveals every... I've read some things that, oh, this is not the 70s. Shocking. I don't want to go there any longer, reading about people's diaries. They, they write everything. This is the kind of world that we're living in. I'm glad, though, that people are finally pulling their pants up. I'm glad that we've gotten sort of over that trend. And just when I was thinking I'd wear mine, just a little bit lower. I'm always 10 years behind. But I'm glad that we're not pulling our pants up. I didn't like that trend. I didn't like that change. You know, there's some classical concerts now. They say when there's new discoveries, you develop new problems, and you've got to have new solutions. I love classical music now. I listen to it all the time. And uh, in these classical concerts that they're having, it was a problem. People had their iPhones and, and uh, cell phones. And they had people that would communicate to... They would tweet them, text them or tweet them and tell them, I want you to listen for the next note. The next note is sensational. You've got to get it. Listen to this fiddle or listen to this particular instrument play this. And they were texting and tweeting people in the audience. So others that did not have cell phones or iPhones... They were being disturbed because their phones light up and it's dark in the auditorium and the phone lights up because they're getting their message and they were complaining. And so they have to have a special tweeting section for these classical concerts now. In these tweeting sections, you sit there and you'll be tweeted. Listen for this one. That got me to thinking, wow, wouldn't it be great if I had someone up here that would tweet you? And say, hey, the next point he's going to make is a good one. Listen up. Listen up. It's good. He worked hard on this one. Don't listen to anything else, he says, but listen to this one. That'd be current, wouldn't it? Well, anyways. Last week I talked about country singer Hank Snow. So this week I thought I'd talk about his son, Jimmy Snow. Jimmy Snow is also a singer. On his website... He sings a song. He's in his 70s now. His song goes like this. Oh, Lord, how did I get so old so fast? I watched it, and as he's singing this to me, he also has pictures playing in the background, showing in the background of... How he's aged over the years when he was a young child growing up and he used to know Elvis Presley and sitting on fenders of a car together and he got old and he said, oh, Lord, if I could just have it to do all over again, he depressed me. Very depressing. So I told my wife, you should watch this. it'll Depress you, too. But I don't want to spend my days looking back. I don't want to spend my days looking back over the years. But my desire is I want to advance until the day Jesus comes. I want to keep moving on despite my little balding spot here at the back and my aging bones. You can't see this, but I don't look in the mirror anymore at the back here because there's a little spot developing there. You see it? Just a little one. But I don't want to spend my years looking back. I want to move on. I want to advance. I want forward motion until the day Jesus called, calls me home. See, I can appreciate the new norms in the modern day culture. When I was younger, someone had to appreciate my, my long striped bell bottom pants and work boots. And the pants were this much longer, and they all went around here, and, you walk, and it was really cool if you wore them out. And then so it's just kind of laying over the top of your work boots. They were striped, they were polyester. You know, those were the days. That was, I think this was pre-disco. I'm going back a little bit. But I remember that. People, someone had to appreciate me walking around like that. They had to. Someone had to appreciate my long, out-of-control hair. It was long, it was curly, it was wild. I remember dating a girl, and she told me one time, my father called you bushhead. You're yeah, that bushhead. Bushhead? He didn't appreciate me one little bit. Well, we have to appreciate. So someone had to appreciate. I still am bothered by that all these years later. Someone had to appreciate my loud music coming from my 8-track stereo system. State-of-the-art. Someone had to appreciate the disco scene that I was into. Someone had to appreciate my high-heeled shoes that I wish were in style still because I'm so short. And Snoop boots. Remember, snoop boots—they're just a boot that someone took a hammer to the front of it. Bang, bang, and they're puffed up. That was a snoop boot. S N O O P, snoop boot. Someone had to appreciate my KTEL records, which were state of the art. See, changes in culture and life will continue to happen. Did you realize? Do you realize that someday texting and tweeting will be old school? Yeah. It'll be old school. Been there, done that. What's next? Maybe talking eyeball to eyeball. That'll be new. So we all need to accept changes. You're wondering, where is he going? I'm not sure. I can't see this too good. But we all need to <clears throat> accept change, don't we? We all need to to embrace brand new technology. We all need to stay current. We all need to look ahead. And sometimes we have to relax and take a deep breath when it becomes so overwhelming and realize that God has everything under control. And sometimes the world doesn't evolve around you and what you think. We have to look at changes. Changes are going to happen. So all these changes and brand new norms that we're working with, it's part of life. Remember my key, key number three in successful development in this new year year was altar construction. Altar construction. Now, with all the changes taking place, new technology, we must never neglect and abandon and tear down or reject or ignore the altar. We need our altars for continuance in our walk with God. We need our altars for strength to carry out our philosophies for life. We used to call it when I was young, return to the old-fashioned altar. Why don't we call it return or go to the current fashion altar? It never was outdated, but we called it the old-fashioned altar. The altar will never become outdated. It'll always have its purpose in our lives, no matter what age it is. Now my text, which was read earlier, Genesis chapter 12, four to seven, and then Genesis chapter 13, verses one to four, but Abraham. Abraham, as we know in the Bible, was known as a friend of God in James chapter two and verse 23. Abraham was also known as the father of the faithful in Galatians chapter three. But Abraham was also known as an altar builder, altar builder. When God would appear to him and commission him or bless him or speak a promise into his life, what would he do? He said, i got to find a place and I'm going to construct. I'm going to build an altar. Here's a place that I'm going to meet with God. Why did he do that? Because he had a God consciousness about him, no matter what he was doing. He's always aware there is a God I must please. There is a God that I must call upon. There's a God that I must serve. There's a God that I must recognize. And he showed me this. He said this to me. I'm going to construct an altar. I'm going to talk with him. But he was not the only one building altars in the, I'm going to call it not the Old Testament, but the first division of the Bible, since we're current this morning. In the first division of the Bible, In Genesis, we read that Noah built many altars. In Exodus, we read that Moses was in the habit of building altars. The Bible records Isaac as building an altar in Genesis chapter 26 and verse 25. There was Joshua, and then there was Gideon, and there was David. They were also altar builders. In fact, the word altar appears in the Bible 433 times. Altar, it's important. Some of those early altars were elevations of earth or stone with the size and shape that were varying. 1 Kings chapter 18 and 31, we read that it was a pile of stones. Well, in 1 Samuel chapter 14, we read it was a single stone, big stone, but a single one. Later, altars were made out of bronze and horns and ashes and wood and marble and brick. Sometimes God would give specific directions and dimensions. This is how I want you to construct and build the altar. And with what kind of materials he wanted. But it was at those altars that men would point their hearts and their minds and their souls to God. Oh it was at those altars that men would call upon the name of the Lord. God, oh God, oh God Almighty, I worship you, I praise you. It was at those altars that men would surrender their lives afresh. Oh, it was at those altars that men would repent and say, God, I'm so sorry. I fell, I fumbled, I failed, and I need you, God, in my life. It was at those altars that men would call out to God for his direction, call out to God for victory, call out to God for their present needs. God, get me through this. They connected with God at the altar. And then we shift, take a shift into the New Testament. And immediately we're introduced to a child that's born in a manger. His name is Jesus. He would live and dwell amongst us for 30 to 33 years. Somewhere in that neighborhood, he's crucified, put to death. He's put to death upon an altar. The Bible says it was Mount Calvary, a place of crucifixion, Mount Calvary, a place that was raised up, a place of surrender, a place of sacrifice. In Ephesians chapter 2, The scripture that I meditated on a lot this past week, just reading it over and over and over and over and over again. We read that God was pleased with Jesus dying for the sins of the world. That Jesus was pleased. I thought of all the different words I could use. What is the scripture talking about here? But he was pleased that Jesus surrendered his life. Ephesians 5 and 2 says it was a fragrance, a fragrant offering. In other words, it was a soothing. I read every commentary on this. I read every translation and paraphrased on this. It was a soothing aroma, sacrifice to God. God God breathed it in and he said, I'm pleased with the smell." He was pleased with the smell of death. Oh, man. He was pleased with the sight of grave clothes. Oh, God was pleased with the burial grounds, the tomb. Yeah, he was pleased with that. It was acceptable to God. See, the altar had purpose. Jesus died that you might have life. Jesus died for our sins. Jesus died that we may be here this morning and worship Him and cry out to God and praise them in total freedom. I like our new Nigerian friend. His name is Liberty. Two weeks ago, he was in Nigeria getting ready to come to Canada. Last night was with us at the fellowship at Forest. And first time he saw ice. Let's go walk on the ice together. I said, now you've walked on water. You can tell your friends. His net liberty means freedom. This is what Jesus Christ... Welcome liberty. Let's give him a good hand. <laughs> the warm weather is just for you. As you adjust, we'll, 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 we'll get you some colder weather yet, though. That's what Jesus died. To give us freedom. To give us liberty in Jesus Christ. Boy, I really spent some time on this last week. Jesus liked, or God was pleased with death. And then Jesus, we know, died once and for all. But as we take this a step further, I also believe that Jesus was leaving us an example. He was actually, I believe, saying to us, that you've got to find your own altar. I will die once and for all, but that doesn't mean that you don't need to find an altar too. You've got to find your own Mount Calvary. You've got to find your own altar. You've got to find your own place of death and surrender. That is also well-pleasing to God. God is well-pleased. It's a sweet aroma in his nostrils to see you and I die. I remember what, what, what uh, Paul said. Paul was aware of this in Galatians 2 and 20. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. He didn't stop there. Paul was saying, I found my own altar. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but it's Christ that lives in me. That's exactly what Paul is talking about. I found my own altar. I got to go to Romans 12. I wasn't going to read it but I... Romans chapter 12 here's what he says Therefore I urge you brothers in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices holy and pleasing to God This is your spiritual act of worship Verse 2 says do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind The only way that we're going to be able to do verse 2 is to get verse 1 down pat. Paul is talking about altar building. He's talking about death. He's talking about giving your life over to, to God. He's talking about living a brand new, different way. And he says this. He's not, see, it's not a physical death that Paul is talking about. He's not saying you've got to go to a hill somewhere and kill yourself physically. No, he says here we've got to get it straight. Living sacrifices. Present your, so your bodies... Living sacrifices. And he says it's a spiritual act of worship. Spiritual. You don't physically die today. Jesus did it once and for all. But you've got to come to an altar somewhere. And say, I'm going to give up everything. To the Lord. You're spiritual. This is your spiritual act of worship. So you say, well, I have problems in the body, in the flesh. I have like problems with, with how to, to function in a victorious Christian-like manner. You know something? You get the spiritual in place, the physical will take, take, take care of itself. And they've done studies on people that have fallen and fell into sin and fell into temptation And when they've asked them, did you have a prayer life? Did you have a devotional life? Almost all of them said, no, I stopped praying. I stopped finding my altar. I stopped my devotional times with Jesus. And that is when I tripped and fell. That's when temptation overcame me. You get this right. You get the spiritual right. You get the altar in its its right place in your life. The physical, I'm not saying it's going to be totally easy but you're going to live a victorious life. We all need to have an altar. Talking about the walk. Ask Enoch. He knows what it's like to walk with God, to please Him, and to give everything over to Him. So key number three in successful development in 2012 and beyond is altar construction. Altar usage. And so I asked you this morning, have you built one into your life? Have you found one and do you use it regularly? A place where you fight the temptations of the flesh. A place where you bring everything to the foot of the cross and say, God, I can't take this. Give me an Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 experience. I need the power of the Holy Spirit right now. Stay there on your knees. Don't rush it. Stay there. Wait upon God. Call upon his name. Oh, the altar. A place that you fight for your marriage. You'll fight and say God. I want this to stay together. Because it's your will. And if it's your will. Flesh come in line. And if flesh is going to come in line. Flesh must be slayed. Flesh must die. Flesh must give up its life on the altar. Because I want to fight for my marriage. It's coming up marriage week. Marriage banquet next Friday evening. If you haven't bought your ticket. You can buy it today. Last day. We care about marriages, and the altars are a marvelous place. So do battle for your marriage. You pray for your family. Pray for your relationship. Pray for your commitments. The altar, a place where you, call upon God for your children. God direct them. God lead them. God, when they making choices day after day, choices they make now that could have future consequences. Oh, the altar, a place where you call upon God for healing. The altar, a place where you ask God for stability in your life. The altar, a place where you let go and let God, the altar, a place where you turn over all of your bitterness to the Lord. The altar, a place where you're taught forgiveness. I don't want to forgive. It goes against the grain of flesh. Yeah, but the altar where you cry and say, God, I need to forgive. I need to forget." The altar, a place where you let go of your penned-up anger and tightness and just go, God, here it is, the altar. Well, the altar, a place where you learn to trust in Jesus in all and through all. The altar, a place where you receive faith to expect miracles and signs and wonders. The altar, a place where you receive the power to live out this Christian life. Be it 2012 or be it 2052, we're always going to need an altar. You can update it, you can change it, you can, it can be anything. An altar really is just any place that's raised up. And so, in the face of all these changes, I ask you, do you have an altar? Do you have one constructed? Are you using it? We all need the altar. Stand with me. I'm going to continue this in a couple of weeks. Next week we have a different emphasis on blessed to bless others. But the following week is going to be bit of a sermon series that's kind of jumped along the way in a few weeks in between, but I want to be able to finish this off correctly, the way I should. Lord, I thank you this morning for the day and age in which we're living. And God, we do need to look at the trends and the culture and not fight against changes, our new technology, our new ways of doing things. some things are so much quicker and faster than they ever were before, and it makes so much sense. But sometimes we just stand against it because we don't like change. And God, there's many things we need to embrace. And God, as we think of the altar, it'll never become outdated. Oh, it may change. Just as we read in the Old Testament, there was different types of altars. That may change over the years, but never the purpose. Never that foundation. As we look back and see How people have knelt beside an altar, laid upon an altar, died upon an altar. And got back up from that altar and began to live a resurrected life for Jesus. So God, I'm not going to say this morning, take us back to the altar. But take us ahead to the altar. Because the altar has never become outdated. It's a present, present reality in our lives. It's just an encouragement to never abandon that new fashion altar. Thank you, Lord. Thank you.